you literally have a better chance of surviving 50 jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge and winning the Powerball Lottery five times in a row than you do of betting against Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Welcome to the Millennial Apologist Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan, and in this episode, we're going to discuss why the Bible is the Word of God. So first, let's just talk about uh, why it matters that Christians even have an answer to the question, why is the Bible the Word of God? And first, uh, well, because the Bible says so, in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, we are instructed to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Furthermore, particularly uh, younger generations of Americans, but just all of America in general, are becoming increasingly pessimistic toward Christianity. Today, about 25% of Americans claim to be atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. And in 2017, a Gallup poll found that 76% of Americans do not believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. Now, this is, of course, in direct conflict with what scripture has to say about itself because in 2 Timothy 3:16 we see that all scripture is given by inspiration of God in 2 Peter 1:21 uh, Peter writes that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the holy ghost furthermore Jesus himself called the old testament the very word of God in John 10:35 and elsewhere so if one claims to be a Christian yet does not believe that the Bible is indeed inspired by God and is therefore God's word, they are disagreeing with uh, Jesus himself and I would not want to be in that position. So let's get into some common responses that Christians may say when they're asked, you know, why should I trust the Bible over the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or any other religious text? A few common responses are, you know, one, it, it stood the test of time. Two, I feel God's presence when I read it. Um, sometimes they'll say, you know, it's it's unique. The book's unique, and it's changed the world. And uh, this one, which is pretty obviously circular reasoning, just says, oh, because it says it's the word of God. Now, the problem with all these responses, though, are that any of them can be applied to any other religious text as well as the Bible. You know, I mean, it stood the test of time. Well, you can say that about Hindu religious texts. When people just say, I feel God's presence when I read it, that's just a subjective claim. And I mean, people say stuff like that just being out in nature. And it's a unique book that's changed the world. Again, um, there's over a billion Muslims in the world today. Islam has had a huge impact on the world. And so that answer could be used about the Quran as well. So, um, in order to legitimately demonstrate that the Bible is the Word of God, the reason must be both objective and unique. It has to be objective because truth is discovered by testing and examining the real world. It's not found by simply following your innermost feelings or emotions. And it has to be unique because if the same reason can be found in other religious texts which contradict the Bible, such as the Quran or the Book of Mormon, etc., uh, then we would be unable to distinguish which one to choose from. So in order to easily remember how to demonstrate that the Bible is the Word of God, I'm going to provide an acronym to remember. Um, So just remember that the evidence we're going to cover in this episode stops objections against the Bible's inspiration. That acronym is STOPS. And just to go over it real quick before diving into the details, um, it's one, provide a summary of the Bible. Two, discuss the time the Old Testament was written. Three, provide an overview of Old Testament themes. 
Um, four, discuss prophecies. And five is uh, to go over statistics. And that ends up spelling the word stops. So let's get into the first one, summary of the Bible. Now I'm not saying go through each book of the Bible and talk about you know the, the themes and the stories and all that. I'm just talking about to discuss a summary of what the Bible actually is. So that would mean realizing that it is a compilation of 66 books written by approximately 40 different authors over the time span of uh, about 1,500 years, actually, between the 1400s BC and uh, AD 100. And as most of us know, the Bible is divided into two main parts. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is uh, compiled of 39 different books written in Hebrew with a portion in Aramaic. And they were written all approximately between 1400 and 46 BC and 400 BC. Uh, the New Testament is compiled of 27 books, all written between approximately 29 and 100 AD. So that was the S, the summary of the Bible, just nice and basic like that. And then the T in stops stands for time the Old Testament was written. And this is essential to hammer through this fact that all 39 books of the Old Testament were written centuries before Christ. Even secular scholars acknowledge that all books were written before Christ. They'll assign later dates, though, like in the like the second century BC, but they still acknowledge that it was written before Christ was born, and uh, evidence of this comes from the Septuagint. And this was the translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, which was initiated in the third century BC. And uh, what's cool is the Septuagint is actually mentioned in other ancient works, which also predate the birth of Christ such as the Letter of Aristius, and that, that's a secular work. This is extremely valuable because it provides extra-biblical verification that the Old Testament was written centuries before the birth of Christ. Another great piece of evidence for the time the Old Testament was written comes from the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in the Qumran Caves in the 1940s, and there's basically just a compilation of a bunch of ancient writings and Old Testament books. What's great, though, is that many of these scrolls predate the birth of Christ. And uh, probably the most famous discovery is the Great Isaiah Scroll, which contains virtually the entire book of Isaiah and has been dated to 100 BC at the latest. Now that was through the T of the word stops. Now we're going to go through the word O, which is an overview of the Old Testament theme. While it's fine to go into minute details of the creation, the fall, the Tower of Babel, etc., the purpose of this step is to make sure that the listener understands that God has promised to redeem the entire world, specifically through the offspring of Abraham, which later becomes the nation of Israel. And this can be found all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when the Lord had said unto Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So this promise is why virtually the entire Old Testament focuses on the nation of Israel, especially after God leads the Israelites out of Egypt and institutes the Mosaic Covenant with them. And even though the Mosaic Covenant was between God and the nation of Israel, God said that one day he would make a new covenant, which would be readily accessible for the entire world. This can be seen in Jeremiah 31, which states, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. 
So this new covenant is going to focus primarily on the forgiveness of sins. Uh, furthermore, God implies that this new covenant would be brought to earth specifically by one person known as the Messiah. Uh, this can be seen in Isaiah 42, which reads, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. I, the Lord, have called him in righteousness. I will hold his hand. I will keep him and give him for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. And a simple reading of the Bible demonstrates that this new covenant is the same thing as the blessing that God promised would uplift the entire world through Abraham's offspring. And just a quick note, the word Messiah means the anointed one and refers to a special servant who God uses to execute his will. So in Old Testament times, the Israelites were constantly looking forward to the coming of this Messiah who would initiate the new covenant. But in order for the Israelites to recognize the Messiah when he arrives, God did something very remarkable. And that's when we'll transition into the P of the word stops, which is prophecy. So I'm going to read a few sentences here, and I want you, the listener, to just think of who these words make you think of when I read them. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So they wait for my price, 30 pieces of silver. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They pierced my hands and my feet. What are these wounds in thine hands? Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. But thou, Bethlehem, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Alright, so if you have any biblical literacy whatsoever, um, you should have been thinking about Jesus when I was reading those passages there and i mean i would argue that if you take all those eight together they really wouldn't all apply to anyone else in the history of the world you know you think about okay who was born in bethlehem claimed to have borne the griefs of humanity was betrayed by a friend you know had his hands and feet pierced all these things point to one man in the history of the world which is jesus so just hold on to that keep that in your memory and we're gonna come back to that in a second but first i want to point out that one characteristic that is unique to God is that he alone exists outside of time. So Psalm 90 verse 2 tells us that from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. John 1 states that all things were made by Jesus and without him was not anything made that was made. So something to ponder is that you know everything that was made has a beginning and is therefore subject to time. But since God is outside of our universe, he is the only being which has no beginning, and therefore he is not subject to time and can predict the future. So since God is the only entity that exists outside of time, if a piece of literature can accurately and consistently predict the future, then it is logical to conclude that it is from God. And what's cool is that even though Jesus did perform public miracles and rose from the dead, 2 Peter 1.19 tells us that there's something even more convincing than miracles which proves that Christ is God 
And here Peter says that we have also a more sure word of prophecy. So prophecy is the primary evidence that we can see Jesus is from God. And even in in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, this is God talking. He says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. All right, so back to those passages I read to you that clearly describe Jesus Christ. The remarkable thing about those is that those are all from the Old Testament. And if you recall, when we were discussing the time when the Old Testament was compiled, which is the T in this acronym STOPS, that means those were all written hundreds of years before Christ was born. So that's kind of weird, right? Like, what if you found some ancient writing somewhere that was, you know, without a doubt, compiled hundreds of years before you were born, and you open it up, and it's describing somebody in the future and the descriptions match your life to the T. Imagine finding a a book like that and it predicted where you were born, when you were born, what your job is, what your friend group is like, all these intimate details about your life. It'd be kind of trippy, huh? But what's really cool is that there are dozens of explicit prophecies in the Old Testament about the future Messiah and hundreds of allusions such as uh, the Passover festival, the brass serpent held up by Moses, etc., And even though just viewing these prophecies will demonstrate the supernatural nature of the Bible, we'll go even further and discuss the probability of any man fulfilling these prophecies. And these calculations we're going to go over were performed by the 20th century mathematician, professor, and author Peter Stoner. And in Stoner's calculations, he worked on them over years as a professor, and he also purposely chose unreasonably conservative numbers in order to prove that there was absolutely no bias in his calculations to favor Christ as the Messiah. So Stoner basically went over eight specific predictions. He said, okay, we're going to look at eight prophecies and find out the statistics of any man in the history of the world fulfilling just these eight prophecies. And this is transitioning into the last S of the acronym STOPS, which is statistics. And I'll just read these eight predictions to you real quick with the odds of anyone fulfilling these. So the first prediction was that Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. This was predicted in Micah 5.2. And um, looking at the world population, um, birth rates and all that, he found that there was a chance of one in 100,000 of anybody being born specifically in Bethlehem. The second prediction was that the Messiah would have a messenger to prepare his way. Uh, this is predicted in Malachi 3.1, uh, also Isaiah 40, verse 3. And this is obviously John the Baptist. So he said, okay, there's a chance in one in a thousand that people have had somebody else prepare the way for them to you know, take the public stage, if you will. Prediction 3 is says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh to thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey. So the third prediction that Stoner covered was that the Messiah was to uh, declare his kingship by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. This was predicted in Zechariah 9.9 and of course fulfilled on Palm Sunday by Jesus. And Stoner chose a ridiculously conservative statistic for this. He said the odds of anyone doing this was 1 in 100. Which, you know, think about if you know 100 people, I don't think any of them rode into Jerusalem on a donkey 
declaring themselves as king. <laughs> this is probably more like one in multiple millions. But again, he's being extremely conservative to prevent um, accusations of bias in his calculations. Uh, the fourth prediction um, is found in Zechariah 13.6, which reads, And one shall say to him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So basically being betrayed by a friend that results in having your hands wounded. That's one in a thousand chance. Zechariah 11.12 states that Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So Stoner said that's a chance in one in a thousand. Zechariah 11.13 so the very following verse after the last prediction, this is very specific, states that those 30 pieces of silver would be cast into the potter in the house of the Lord. And of course, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but he felt immediate remorse and tried to return those pieces to the Pharisees and the Pharisees wouldn't take it. So what does he do? He casts the 30 pieces of silver down in the temple, which is the house of the Lord. And the Pharisees use that to buy a potter's field. So it's very specific and remarkably fulfilled. Uh, this can be seen in Matthew. It uh, records this fulfillment. And this is a chance in 1 in 100,000. Uh, the seventh prediction was found in Isaiah 53, which basically states that the Messiah would be oppressed and afflicted, and he, yet he would not say a word in his defense. So he'd just be silent. And of course, even Jesus was wrongly accused of a crime. He still remained silent. Stoner assigned a probability of one in a thousand for this. And the last prediction is found in Psalm twenty-two sixteen, which reads, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and feet. So, you know, what are the chances of dying by crucifixion? And Stoner got one in 10,000. Now, what's remarkable is that when adding all of these eight prophecies together, the odds of any man in the history of the world fulfilling just these eight is one in 10 to the 17th power. <laughs> and, you know, it's hard for us to uh, think in such exponential numbers, but uh, Stoner gave a great analogy. So he says, let's try to visualize this chance. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They'll cover the whole state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. So that's that's phenomenal. I mean, there's no nice way to say it, but if you're going to bet against those odds, you're just foolish. And of course, Psalms tells us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And especially after being exposed to this sort of miraculous evidence. And Stoner, he went even further actually and calculated the odds of 48 prophecies. And that was a chance of 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So... <laughs> you literally have a better chance of surviving 50 jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge and winning the Powerball Lottery five times in a row than you do of betting against Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So we're now left with two options. Either the first option is that the men who wrote the Old Testament managed to overcome a chance of 1 in 10 to the 157th power by relying solely on random guesses about the future Messiah. 
Or the second option is that the men who wrote the Old Testament managed to overcome a chance of 1 in 10 to the 157th power because they were inspired by God while writing down these prophecies of the future Messiah. And just to provide a simple analogy for those who might be confused right now, is that the odds of Bob correctly guessing the future Powerball lottery numbers 20 times in a row are 1 in 10 to the 160th power. However, if Bob were able to record the winning Powerball numbers for 20 consecutive lotteries and then travel back in time and play the lottery, he will win every time because his number picks would be the result of knowledge rather than chance. And so just like it is impossible, mathematically impossible, for Bob to win 20 consecutive Powerball lotteries, it is also impossible for the Old Testament authors to have correctly predicted over 100 messianic prophecies by guesswork. However, if the Old Testament authors were merely tools used by a being outside of time to record these prophecies, then it is inevitable that the prophecies will come true just like Bob's lottery picks, because we're no longer relying on chance. Um, We're relying on the knowledge of God for these prophecies. And that is what makes the Bible unique. That's how you can demonstrate it truly is the word of God, because no other religious text has anything close to this sort of evidence. The Quran has nothing like it. The Book of Mormon doesn't have anything like it. That's why it's so important to do your research into specific belief systems. And just to go over that one more time, the acronym we covered it was stops so one summary of the bible which is that it's 66 books and the first 39 which is the old testament were written before 400 bc two is time the old testament was written and the septuagint and dead sea scrolls validate that the old testament existed before christ three is overview of the old testament theme which is that god would bless the world through israel's messiah Four is prophecies. Um, The Old Testament predicted hundreds of details about the future Messiah. And five is S and stands for statistics, which it's one in 10 to the 17th power for eight prophecies being fulfilled and one in 10 to the 157th power for 48 being fulfilled, which is mathematically impossible. If you are to bet against the Bible as being the word of God, you are betting against the chance of 1 in 10 to the 157th power. And just to cover a few predictions of the Messiah that are found in the Old Testament, which were fulfilled in Christ, I'll just go over seven about his birth, life, and death. So about his birth, um, it's predicted that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's Micah 5.2. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. He would be born before the temple was destroyed, Malachi 3.1. He would be descendant of Abraham, Genesis 12.3. He would be born before the tribe of Judah loses its identity, uh, it's Genesis 49.10. He will be a descendant of David, that's Jeremiah 23.5-6. And the Messiah will be a descendant of Jesse, which is found in Isaiah 11.1. Seven uh, predictions about the Messiah's life is that Messiah would have no sin, Isaiah 53, 9. He will initiate a covenant for Jews and Gentiles, Isaiah 42, 6. He will ride into Jerusalem as king on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. His garments would be gambled over by soldiers, that's Psalm 22, 18. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12. Uh, he will be God in the flesh, Isaiah 9, 6. And Messiah will miraculously heal people, uh, which is Isaiah 35, 5 to 6. 
Predictions about the Messiah's death found in the Old Testament is that the Messiah would be crucified. This is in Psalm 22:16. Uh, the Messiah's crucifixion would be the result of betrayal. Zechariah 13:6. The Messiah will not have a single bone broken. This can be found in Psalm 22:17. Messiah will be killed with criminals. This is in Isaiah 53.9. The Messiah will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. It's found in Isaiah 53.10. And the Messiah will be resurrected after death, which is found in Psalm 16.10-11. And the most phenomenal prophecy in the entire Bible, we actually did not even cover today, which it's uh, Daniel 70 weeks, and I'll have to devote a full podcast episode of that one maybe i'll do that one next but basically it's by daniel in the book of daniel which was over 500 years before christ was born uh, he predicted the exact moment in time when the messiah would arrive and be crucified so that's phenomenal and we'll go over that in depth next episode but you know with some of these prophecies critics will claim like oh well the New Testament authors, they lied in their writings to try to make Christ fit these prophecies, which A, that argument's foolish anyway, because the majority of the New Testament authors were actually tortured and killed for their beliefs. And um, as far as we know, none of them recanted their statements. So I don't know about you, but I would not be tortured and killed for something I knew was false. Um, and they were enduring pain and trials for what they actually witnessed, not just what they were told. But regardless, even if one were to accept that argument, which is invalid anyway, this prophecy of Daniel 70 weeks, which deals with the time the Messiah would die, that just totally destroys any argument against prophecy because of all of the false messiahs that could have arisen in history, the chance that the one Messiah that would actually change the world just so happened to die at the exact moment in time which Daniel predicted, it'd be ridiculous to bet against those odds. So we'll go over that next episode. And I hope you found this episode helpful. Thanks for listening. All right, bye.